Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. We're ending our series, Summer Mixtape, today with the book of Malachi, and I thought it would be fitting because it's the last book in the Old Testament, right before Matthew, and so if you're having trouble finding it today, just go to Matthew and then go one book back. It's really little, and so you could, you could easily miss it, but throughout this series, you've heard me say there's huge gaps between who we are and who God wants us to be, and we want to close that gap. God wants to take you somewhere, and the big question is, are you ready? Are you ready to go on the journey? And so if you missed any of the, the episodes of this series, I just wanna encourage you to catch up online. Um, and uh, they're, they're all available and you can do that. But today, I kinda of thought an appropriate title for today is what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the waiting room? Yesterday, <clears throat> I don't know why, but I drank my coffee in the morning. I was doing some work. And before you know it, it was like 6.45 and I realized I had barely eaten anything all day. And, and I got what is, what is affectionately known in my house as hangry. Anybody else get hangry in here? And, and, and then I started cooking a meal that was going to take a couple hours to make, right? And so, uh, you know, throughout that time, it's just that waiting room, and I'm just hungry, and I'm, I'm, and I'm getting a little irritable, right? But we all know what it's like to be in the waiting period of life where we just can't wait to find something out. Uh, my kids right now, they can't wait to figure out what group they're in in school and who's going to be in their classes and, and, and they're kind of in that waiting room. Uh, my son is about to be a senior. How many of you know that, that man, seniors, they get that senioritis and, and, and they just can't wait to be adults and all of us are telling them, hey, just chill out and enjoy it while you can, right? One of the best times in his life. But we always want to get to that next step, and we, we, we don't like waiting. We don't like the meantime. We just want to keep moving. When it comes to our spiritual lives, a lot of times, man, we're, we find ourselves living on a word or a nugget from yesterday, and we're desperate for a word for today. We're desperate for something to sustain us, you know, because it's like, God, I can't live spiritually on what you told me last week. I need something today. Well, put your shoes in the, the, or put your feet in the shoes of the Israelites. Malachi comes along and gives a word, and then they didn't hear from another prophet for 400 years. Talk about the meantime. Talk about the waiting room. And they had the temple. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. They, you know, the, it had been rebuilt, and, and, and so the sacrifices and things that they did back then had resumed. But they were still in the waiting room waiting for the promised Messiah that had, been, that had been prophesied about over and over and over in the Old Testament. And you and I are just like that. If we have now, thanks to Jesus and what he did on the cross and the fact that he rose again from the dead, we have 24-7 access to the presence of God, which is a pretty good deal, right? It's amazing. We have access, but sometimes we're still in the waiting room, it feels like. You ever wonder about that paradox. It's like, I have, I have access to God and, the, and at the same time, I feel like I'm waiting. The two, the two statements don't really make sense, but we definitely feel that way in our life. And the only reason or the explanation that I could come up with is that us having access to God's word and presence doesn't necessarily mean that he always has access to every part of our heart. We have access to him, and he never changes, 
and he never moves. Uh, you know, like, like he's there. He's, Jesus is standing at the door of our heart and he's knocking and we let him in. But, but sometimes we keep areas of our life and parts of our heart cordoned off. Don't we? We hold back. And so it takes intentionality. It takes surrender. And if you want to go to a new place in your relationship with Jesus, it's probably going to take a new level of surrender. Is anybody with me this morning? If you want to go to a new place in your relationship with Jesus, it's probably going to take a new level of surrender because we have 24-7 access to him. And so we want to make sure that he has 24-7 access to all of us. So our character today, Malachi, he was a prophet, and he was a deeply devoted Jew living in Judah after the exile. And you're like, some of you are wondering, what in the world is the exile? Let me just fly through it really quick. God gave a promise to Abraham, right? A few generations later, Joseph finds himself in Egypt. A while later, the, the Israelites are slaves, and God sends Moses to deliver them from the Egyptians and to give them a promised land in Israel. So eventually, they go to Israel, and they, 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 they conquer that land, and they're living there, and God gives them judges. Then, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, they wanted a king, so then God gave them kings. And then because of their rebellious and stubborn hearts, after a while, and I mean, we're, we're like flying through the Old Testament right now, but after lots of generations, God is fed up and allows a foreign army and a foreign country to come and take the Israelites away from the land that had been given to them, and they went into exile in Babylon. At some point during that, God... Uh, led Nehemiah to go back and rebuild uh, the walls of Jerusalem. And then at, at some point, the temple was rebuilt, right? Sacrifices resumed, worship resumed to the one and true living God. And so this prophecy, this book, it was written during this time. It was following the Jews. Some of the Jews returned from captivity in, in Babylon. And like I said, temples rebuilt. Things are going relatively well. The feasts that the Jews observed each year had restarted. And Malachi takes this bold stand in a time of apathy, of apathy. You see, a general knowledge of God's word had been reintroduced to the Israelite people by Ezra, the scribe. The people had become discouraged that the future events spoken of by the previous prophets had not yet occurred. And so what did they do? They became impatient, right? They became impatient. They had knowledge. They had their, their weekly meetings, but they were impatient. They expected what God said to ha happen right away. Have you ever been like that? It's like, well, God, I know, that, I know that your word says this. Why can't it just happen right now, Right? And so what happened after that? They became spiritually careless and they began to turn their back once more on God and they turned back to their ungodly behavior. Spiritual laziness filled the hearts and attitudes of both the priests and of the people. And few of either group took God's word really seriously. And so that's kind of the context of the book and 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 why it was written. 
Has anyone ever been there though? I know I have, just times in my life where I got impatient, where I got apathetic, where I lost my edge, where I was just going through the motions. Am I the only one that's ever been there? And so Malachi, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And like I said earlier, there's no voice of another prophet in Israel for 400 years after Malachi. And the silence ended with John the Baptist when he started preaching. And so I wanted to end with this today because we've seen a lot of victories, we've seen some failures, we've we've seen a lot in the Old Testament throughout this series. But all of it, everything that happens in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to him. It's pointing to how much we need him, how much we need a savior. And so let's look at these teachings and, and, and man, I can't wait to see where this goes today. The first thing that we see in the teaching of Malachi, answering the question of what in the world do we do in the meantime, the first thing we see is we remember that authentic love deserves authentic love in return. Authentic love, which God had for the people of Israel, which Jesus has for you, which Jesus demonstrated when he died for you on the cross, deserves authentic love in return. Malachi chapter one, verse two. I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really? How have you loved us? Now, can you imagine ever looking at God in the face when he says, I've always loved you. When he looks down at the depths of your soul and even though you've been rebellious and after all that you've done and he looks at you and says, I have always loved you. I never stopped loving you no matter what you did. My grace is always there for you and and my arms are open wide ready for you to come back And, and for you to look back at God in the face. I mean, just imagine this and say, really? How have you loved us? And yet a lot of us find ourselves in that place. In your journey, in your search for God, it's normal. We see people ask all the time, does God really love me? Because if God really loved me, would he allow these things to happen in my life? And would he allow you know, things happen in the world that are happening? And, and it just doesn't make sense. But I wanna encourage you today that we don't have to look far for God's love. It's so big, it's so worthy, it's so all-encompassing that the moment you start looking is the moment you start finding. Look for it. And so God's response to the people that, you know, that said this is, on the surface, his response might seem a little weird because he starts talking about Jacob and Esau, which was, which was hundreds of years before. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of many generations before. But you have to understand that, that God was referring to the fact that he gave Jacob a blessing that was undeserved because Jacob was the second born, not the first born. And so God is just underlying the fact that his grace was so big to the people of Israel because after all of these years of being unfaithful, God is still there and still saying, I have always loved you. And just like so many of the characters that we've talked about in the Old Testament, God's love isn't based on our qualifications, on our heritage, or our worthiness. It's just who he is. Man, I hope you hear that today. He sees you, he loves you, he he has a better plan for you, he loves you too much to leave you how you are. God's love is good. (laughs) 
Now, I want to encourage you this week. Malachi is only four chapters long. Man, you can read it in a few minutes. And so I encourage you maybe to, to read it every day this week, the whole book. Trust me, it won't take you long. And just let these thoughts kind of wash over you this week. But God's love is authentic for you, even when you don't understand it. And so Malachi continues, and in verse 6, he says, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. So God is saying to the people, man, why are you disrespecting me so much? But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? And so this, this conversation between God and the people, and, and the people are like, how in the world have we done that? They were completely oblivious. And God comes back and he says, man, you dishonored my name. You're showing contempt for my name by bringing thoughtless, lazy worship and sacrifices to God. Instead of bringing the best of what you have, for instance, if they brought a, uh, one of their livestock, maybe a lamb, for instance, they were supposed to bring the best one they had, not the runt of the litter that had all the defects. But they were just content with bringing something to God instead of bringing their best to God. And God saw through their outward motions to the, to the condition of the heart. And he said, your love for me isn't as authentic as my love is for you. You're getting lazy. You're getting apathetic. You're being thoughtless in your worship. Man, it's a bad day when God has to look us in the eye and say, and when God has to look us in the eyes and say, I deserve more than that. Have you ever had a parent look you straight in the eyes and with all the love in the world and just say those dreaded words, I'm just really disappointed in you? Have you been there? Right? And it's like at that point, you know, you don't need a whooping, you don't need a punishment, you don't need to get grounded. Like that, that, that was enough. And that's basically what God is saying to the people. Why don't you respect me? Malachi 1.10. God says, how I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. Thank you, Kathy. Wow. Can you imagine? I don't know about you, but I never want God to say to Mosaic Church, I just wish you'd shut the doors, shut down service, close up shop, because God is saying he would rather us do that then come in here on a Sunday morning and offer thoughtless, apathetic, lazy worship. <laughs> Man. I don't even have to get fired up and say this was passion for it to drop like a bomb in our life, right? Man. Talk about conviction. God would rather us shut the doors of the church than worship with insincere hearts. This kind of statement and this kind of scripture and this kind of extreme, um, which it's really not extreme, God really is worthy. But this kind of statement is the kind of statement that has caused some in Christendom to be arrogant and have spiritual pride and put unrealistic expectation on others. And, and so a lot of times we take this statement and we look around at everybody else and we, start, and we try to apply it to them. And we're like, well, I'm over here worshiping God and doing all, I got the right clothes and I got the right car and look how fancy my Bible is and look how, and look at the mu music I listen to and man, I'm doing it all right. I'm giving my tithes and I'm giving my offerings. Man, what's, what's wrong with these other, all these other slugs, right? 
And man, people slip into this kind of arrogant attitude really easy when they read a verse like this and they're like, not me. (laughs) And I just want to encourage you, man, if you're searching, you've come to a safe place today. This is a three-chair church, which means that we want this church to be full full of unbelievers, new believers, and mature believers. And every seat around that table, no matter what bucket you find yourself in, man, this should be a safe place for you to hear the teachings of Jesus and know, and we know that you, just like us, we're on a journey. We're on a journey, and there's grace. And listen, someone who offers sacrifices to God is someone who has decided to worship God. Someone who's put their faith in Christ and, or a mature believer. Someone who is casually searching or seriously searching has not yet decided to worship God. And so this is a great uh, reason to just not judge what other people are doing around you and to just worry about your own self, right? Because you don't know where somebody is at on their journey and you don't know what is going on in their heart. And you, a lot of times you can't even tell from the outside what genuine worship looks like. You can't. And I'll I'll illustrate that with scripture here in a minute. And so before we get too ahead of ourselves when reading this verse, we just have to remember not to compare. Your authentic love for Christ might look different than someone else's, and that's okay. In the New Testament, Jesus told a story about a Pharisee that brought a lot of money, and he wanted everybody to know it. And so he drops it on the bucket, and he makes a big fanfare, and he's like, look at me. And then this widow, who had next to nothing, came and brought a mite or half a mite, just a, the, the tiniest amount of money. And in Luke 21, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has. So see, you can't tell from the outside. God knows your heart. So don't compare yourself with others. The big question for you to ask is, am I bringing authentic love to my Savior? Am I showing him the respect and the honor that he deserves? Jesus said, or God says in the Psalms, a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so we see in scripture that when we worship God with authenticity and true reference, not pomp and circumstance, when your heart is right, when you're worrying about yourself and not everybody else and you're you're just bringing what you have to the Savior, that's what he appreciates. I love that scripture that says, man, I will not bring a sacrifice that costs me nothing. This is the heart of Malachi chapter one, that authentic love deserves authentic love in return, amen? Number two, the second thing we see in the book of Malachi is that pleasing God happens both vertically and horizontally. In the first part of chapter two, he talks about the priests who were the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the country, and, and how they weren't faithful to steward their place of leadership among God's people. And so basically he's criticizing them because they're not faithfully stewarding God's word to the people. And so he's talking about their leadership relationship between themselves and the people and how they're taking what they've been given by God and not handling it correctly, right? Then, the prophecy in Malachi talks about 
the people and their lack of faithfulness to each other. Malachi 2.10, it says, are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? Listen, too many times, too many times we wanna bring our praise to God on Sunday, but then treat our fellow man with contempt on Monday. Have you been there? You got that extra grace required person in your life, that boss who's a jerk, that spouse who is stubborn, that child who is fill in the blank, right? And it's just like hard, it's hard. And you're so focused on what you're not getting that you forget to just be Jesus to people. Listen, you can never go wrong when you just say, God help me to be content and display the fruits of the Spirit in my relationships. The greatest thing that you could do for your friends, your family, and your relationships is to honor God's word with your life and your choices. Let me give you one example from verse 14. Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? What a great question. I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Wow. Man, how many times do we want everything from God, but we don't want to be faithful in our horizontal relationships? When we don't see anything wrong with a little look here or a little flirt here, or, and, and not just you know, in our marriage relationships, but, but, but a little gossip here, or a little unfaithfulness here, right? Malachi just gets right down to the heart of it, plain and simple. Husband, be faithful. Wife, be faithful. You can never go wrong if you just stay faithful. Have a kind, a gentle, forgiving spirit. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Jesus says it plainly. So if you're presenting a, a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. We do our relationship with Christ a, a, a huge disservice when we assume that we can be right with him when we're not right with our, our, our loved ones. When there's some barrier in our relationship that we haven't attempted to resolve. Now, I, I understand that sometimes you go and you try to reconcile and that person doesn't wanna reconcile. You cannot control them, but you can control your own heart. You can control your own spirit. You can you could say, hey, I'm gonna choose to forgive. I might not feel like forgiving. I'm not, I might not feel like, you know, I like them, but I can choose to forgive them. I can do it. That they could be forgiven, right? Does it mean that the relationship goes right back to how it used to be? Probably not. Sometimes total restoration happens and that's amazing, it's a miracle. But yeah, there might be new boundaries, there might be new change in the, changes in the relationship, but that doesn't mean that you can't keep your heart right, right? We gotta not only monitor our relationship with Jesus, but we gotta monitor 
or horizontal relationships with each other. <clears throat> the third thing we learned from Malachi today, and we're gonna spend a little bit more time in this one as we close, and this one is a tough one, especially in our day and age and in our culture. But we learn here in, this, in these last couple chapters that God's judgment is real and it's coming. And me just saying that makes some of you really uncomfortable, right? You've already kind of like tensed up. But here's the second part. His grace is also real and it's here now. So God's judgment is real and it's coming, but his grace is also real and it's here now. Let's be honest for a moment just with ourselves. God's judgment and God's grace are really hard things for us to reconcile sometimes. On one hand, God's judgment, that's not a very popular thing to talk about. It's not. Our minds and in our culture tend to be very linear and black and white and don't do very well with paradoxes. We don't understand how two things that maybe on the surface in a limited lack of understanding appear to be at odds you know, people say things like, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? How could a loving God ever, ever pass judgment on people? You know, they were just doing the best they could with what they had. These are the kind of arguments and the, the, the kind of logic that we use, right? And so where does this lead? You know, when we can't reconcile the fact that God is a righteous judge and he's also full of grace, we end up with theologies and views of God like universalism. You might say, Joe, what in the world is that? That's basically the thought that God is love and he's only love and because he is only love, everyone will end up in heaven. It doesn't matter what path you follow. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or you believe in, in Buddha or if you, you follow Hinduism or, or what all paths lead to the same place. That's universalism. Doesn't matter what you do, God is love. And so because God is love, anything goes. Just try to be a good person. The fact is though that we're gonna see here in the scripture is that God's realities don't depend on our ability to understand. And that's a really tough pill to swallow. God's realities don't depend on my ability or your ability to understand them. And the fact is, is that God can be a righteous judge and he will judge and that judgment is coming and he's a God full of more grace than you can ever imagine and he's gracious to you and me. His ways are higher. His thoughts are greater. So let's look at this tension in Malachi's prophecies. Malachi 3, 1 through 3. Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to this temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Spoiler alert, the messenger that it's talking about is Jesus Christ. So 400 years before he comes, this is just one of the many prophecies in the Old Testament that says Jesus is coming, and he's coming for you and for me, amen? But listen to what it says next. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire 
that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, who were the priests that were, that were not handling things right. He'll purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they will, may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Wow. So basically, God is saying, I'm sending Jesus and he's bringing the stick, <laughs> right? But, but let's, let's keep going. But man, one thing that I wanted you to get from that, that passage right there is that no one can come face to face with Jesus and remain unchanged because he's gonna become, he's gonna come like a blazing fire into your life. He's gonna refine you. He's gonna burn up anything in your life that, that isn't pleasing to him. He's gonna come in and clean house and change everything. That's just what Jesus does. And it's the best thing that could ever happen to you or me. When we open up ourselves and we say, create in me a clean heart, oh God, take anything out that isn't pleasing to you, amen? Your heart, when you encounter Jesus, it either gets changed or it gets harder. Those are the two choices that we have. Malachi 3, 6 through 7. I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Where is the, what does that mean? Hundreds of years ago, God made a promise to, to Jacob. He made a promise to Abraham, and guess what? He had never broken his promise. And just like he never broke his promise to them, he's not gonna break his promises to you, and he's gonna have grace for you, and when you run back to the arms of a loving God, he's gonna wrap you right up and take you right in. Isn't that amazing? It was by God's grace that the Israelites hadn't been destroyed already. He, can, he continues, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return to you when we have never gone away? Listen, church, sometimes we're so self-deceived. We're so self-deceived. We're like, I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm doing all the right things. And God is saying, oh man, but I've only got about this much of your heart when you have this much to give. Authentic love deserves authentic love in return. Jesus gave all for you so that you could give all back to him. It's an all or nothing thing. He's got grace for the journey. That's why he didn't destroy the Israelites. That's why he kept his promise because he doesn't change. He's just that good. But we can't divorce the grace of God from the fact that he's a righteous judge. You see, the people, they failed to recognize their intense need for God and his ways. You and I, we have to recognize that we need a savior. We need a savior. And so when the people asked, how can we return when we've never gone away? Then God launches into this famous passage on tithing that we're not gonna jump into today. You've probably heard it. Some of you, that's the only part of Malachi that you've ever heard is the teaching on tithing. And so I'm assuming that maybe you've heard about it before. And, and like I said, you're going to read it this week. And so you can check that out on your own. But later on in, in Malachi 3, 16 through 18, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they had said. Do you ever wonder if God's hearing your conversations and your prayers? He hears you. 
In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who had feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And on the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you again will see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So God's God's saying there's a difference, that there's gonna be a day of judgment. The question for you and for me is, man, would anybody see the difference in my life? Malachi 4.1, the Lord of heaven's army says, the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They'll be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But here's the grace part, church. And you might say, man, Joe, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of blazing furnaces. There's a lot of, you know, man, when are we going to get to the good stuff? Hey, we just got there. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will come, will rise with healing in his wings. Amen, church? He's a God of judgment, but he's also a God of immense grace. And would you put your hope and your trust in the one and only name that saves Jesus Christ? He's going to come. The son of righteousness is going to come in your life with healing in his wings. You see, what might seem like a paradox to you and me is really just the reality of a God that loves you. That, man, we were dead in our sin and transgressions. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Malachi 4, 5, he continues. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and deadful day of the Lord arrives. This prophecy here is referring to John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah, who prepared the way for Jesus. So listen, God in his grace sent John the Baptist, sent Jesus, sent every person, including me, that, who, that you've ever heard in your life that is pointing you to Jesus so that you could hear the good news. You wonder, is God loving? Is God good? Is God gracious? Man, take today as a stamp of approval saying, yes, he loves you so much because he sent people into your life to point you to Jesus. 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10. You see, the Lord isn't really slow about, being, about his promises, as some people think. No, he's, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but everyone to repent. He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as, expe- as unexpectedly as a thief. Man, I want to encourage you to hold this paradox in your heart. Lean into God's words, not what the world says. God is not just some big angry judge in the sky waiting to squash you. No, but he is a judge. And he's extending grace to you through the person of Jesus Christ. He's patient with you. He loves you more than you love yourself, more than anyone on this earth could ever love you. He loves you with a love that won't fade through the generations and the, and the thousands of years that he's interacted with mankind. 
And he's looking right into the depths of your soul this morning and he's saying, don't ignore it. Don't miss it. Don't be arrogant. Humble yourself before God. Accept God for who he is, not just who you want him to be. Church, if we want to see all that God has for us in the months and weeks to come, and man, can I just tell you, I'm so excited about our church. And I feel in the depths of my spirit that God is doing an amazing thing here at Mosaic. And it was, we get into the fall and, and we get everybody back from vacations and, and all their stuff. Man, I, I feel it. Some, something's happening. God's drawing his people to himself. He's refining us like he talked about. He's refining us in the refiner's fire. He's, he's taking away the things that shouldn't be there. And he's, he's helping us to love him in a more authentic way. And so if we want to see everything that God has for us, if you want to see everything that God has for you in your home, love God fiercely with authentic love. Don't have any compartments in your heart that are off limits. Love each other faithfully. If there's any relationships in your life that you need to mend, man, go through that painful time knowing that God promises that, man, when, you, when you're right with each other, your relationship with God is going to flourish that much more. And then lastly, oh, we got to be eternally minded, church. We got to know that the day of the Lord and his judgment is coming. But for this time that we're living in, his grace is just as great. His grace is just as real. And he's sending us like he sent John the Baptist to proclaim his message to a broken and dying world that is so in need of his message of grace. Amen. Now, I want to encourage you, when you go and try tell your friends about Jesus, if you start with the judgment part, they might look at you a little sideways. But if you live a faithful life in front of them that loves them in their ups and their downs, and you're faithful to them, and you're faithful to God's word, and you're taking care of your own self, they're going to begin to see the difference that God talked about. And then the other realities of the word that, and the fact that God is a righteous judge and that, man, these are the, real, the, the eternal realities of scripture will, become, will be, begin to become alive in their life. Jesus came and he said, hey, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the healthy. And like only Jesus could, he began to proclaim the truths of God's word. And he's here for you today. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Some of you are ready to accept Jesus today. And I want to give you that opportunity. Some of you are saying, Joe, man, I've never heard about God talked, heard God talked about in this way. I've never thought about the fact that, man, he's a righteous judge, but, but he's given me so much grace. And, and you're saying and thinking to yourself today that when that day comes unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, I want to be ready. And God's been so patient with me and you're feeling that in your heart that God is so patient because he loves you so much. And he's brought you to this moment where, hey, it's time to get real. It's time to return the same authentic love to my savior that he's shown to me. It's time to get my relationships right. It's time to accept all of who God is, not just the parts that are easy. It's time to begin a real growing relationship with Jesus. And if that's you today, and you say, Joe, that's me. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And you want to give your life to him today. If that's you, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you today. Amen. 
Is there anyone that says, I want to accept Jesus for all that he is? I want to give my life wholeheartedly to Jesus. If you're watching online today, you're sitting on your couch at home, hey, you can lift your hand right there because God sees you. He's not bound by geography. His presence is right there in your living room. He's ready to meet you right where you're at today. Amen. If you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer. And I just want to encourage everybody in this room to repeat this after me. Let's pray it together with those that are inviting Christ into their life today. Repeat after me. Let's say, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. So I invite you to come into my life. I realize that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through you. And so I trust you. I believe that you died for me and rose again on the third day. Help me to follow your word. I give my life to you. Amen. Amen. If you accepted Christ today, we've got a bag, a gift bag for you in the lobby. It has a Bible and some resources to get you started out in your faith. And I want to encourage you to be bold and drop by that, that booth out there and, and just say, hey, can I have that Bible that Joe is talking about? And they'll get it right in your hands. All right? For the rest of us, I'm going to pray a closing prayer and just give you a challenge. And we're going to ask it for God's help to help us to love him authentically. I'll be the first to say that sometimes I get apathetic. Sometimes I get lazy. Sometimes I bring God sacrifices that cost me nothing. But I never want to lose the tension in my life. I never want to lose that tension. I always want to be thinking, God, I want to bring you my best. I want to bring you my best at work. I want to bring you my best in my marriage. God, I want to bring you my best in my relationships. With my witness to this world, God, I want to bring you my best. Amen. And so if that's you and, and you say, Joe, I'm with you, I want to bring my best, go ahead and stand to your feet. And if that's you, let's just raise our hands to heaven and ask for God's help today. God, that's us. We want to bring our best to you. And so help us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Help us to wrestle with these tensions that we read about in Malachi. And as we pour over your word this week, God, convict us in the places that we need to get right with you. Convict us in the places that we need to get, get right with people in our life that, where the relationship has gone sour. God, convict us in places that we're, we're uncomfortable with who you are, but we need to just settle into the fact that your ways are higher than ours. Jesus, help us. We don't want to come to the end of our life and leave anything on the field. God, we want to spend ourselves completely from this day till the end in honor of the one who loved us so deeply. So we give ourselves to you wholeheartedly. God, we want to step into that next level in our relationship with you, and we know that that's going to happen through surrender. And so here we are, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.